The scripture reading for today is Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 13. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, You are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them, and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. You will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. This is the word of the Lord. So we're continuing on with Book of Nehemiah, rebuilding together. Uh, today's topic is um, a challenging, uh, difficult topic. Uh, we will be talking about restoring justice based on chapter 5. So restoring justice takes place along with restoring God's kingdom. When we talk about God's kingdom, God's gospel never separates from God's justice. It is always a part of the gospel. Yet, you and I, we live in the world that is polluted by sin. Everywhere we turn to, uh, uh, there are areas where it is broken with sin pride, greed, self-centeredness. We're experiencing war right now. There's famine, uh, social, economical crisis, especially with inflation. Uh, after COVID, many of us were uh, going through uh, financial crunch as well. 
And you and I, we live in Canada where the government borrowed lots of money. So actually, I heard that even Toronto don't have enough money to remove a snow. But in a way, we're blessed because there are many countries where instead of government borrowing money, the individual citizens had to borrow money. So they're going through a very, very hard time Uh, not being able to pay back, and they're in a severe debt. Even with the COVID, um, we see uh, crisis in many other countries. And we feel bad for younger generation, um, millennials and even Gen Z, uh, because now a lot of um, socialists uh, are saying that Uh, that your generation, that you're the first generation, actually, you're poorer than previous generation. <laughs> Because usually, um, you know, the younger generation, uh, we benefit of previous generation, so we end up having a little more or more blessed, even materially, than our parents' generation. And I think that kind of ended with Gen X, like my generation. But millennials and Gen Z are uh, even financially poorer than and their parents. And the question is now, how do we really tackle this issue of justice? And what is the calling of Christ's church when it comes to uh, justice issue? Nehemiah had a dilemma because he was called to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And it was a big, huge task. And there were oppositions. hindrances, distractions, and yet Nehemiah was able to really focus on the priority in order to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. However, now he's facing fundamental challenge in this chapter 5 because the citizens of Jerusalem, they were suffering. They were crying out. In verse 1, now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. And due to severe famine for many, many years, uh, people, the God's people, they're being oppressed. But it's one thing for them to be oppressed by outsiders, non-Jews, or enemies, other foreign countries, but actually they were being oppressed financially by their own brothers and sisters. So even amongst the community members, there are people who are going through financial oppression, and yet there are people, handful of people, who are privileged, they are taking benefit. They are reaping benefit from their fellow brothers and sisters. So there are people who cannot pay back their mortgage or debt. They end up losing their own field. And some of them, they even had to sell their children as a slave. Rich people becoming richer and poor people becoming poor. And you'll see like extreme division or separation between nobles that are wealthy and people who became slaves. 
The building, the wall of Jerusalem was very important, and yet people inside of the city are starving, out crying, going through uh, severe uh, suffering. What will be the priority? I mean, we as a church, we talk about missions. We talk about building, maintaining program, and getting fed, or having fellowship. And then if there are people in our community starving or going through severe crisis, not just talking about finance, but relationally, emotionally, psychologically, what will be the priority of Christ's church? And I'm sure Nehemiah had this dilemma, and probably he had temptation, right? Because there's a huge task to rebuild the wall, and he came to literally build the wall. If I were to be Nehemiah, probably I would go through the same dilemma or temptation. Should I just ignore it? pretend that I didn't hear it, and just focusing on rebuilding the wall, and that's it. Why confronting wealthy people? I mean, at the end of the day, I need their help. I need their fund. Should I please people rather than confronting the issue? Because many of us, we tend to justify. Right? You know what? doesn't matter. We cannot solve every problem, and that's part of the broken world. It's never-ending. If we tackle one issue, then we have to tackle other issues. And let me just focus on my own task and walk away when it's done. So that was a dilemma of Nehemiah. What would you do? I know that many young people and many of us, we focus a lot on justice and we want justice but there's a difference between the social justice and God's justice when Bible talks about God's justice that is very different and the principles are very different the motivations are different from justice that this world talks about so as we are interest in justice ministry and even social justice and so on, I think you and I, we need to come back to the heart of God and biblical principle, what God says when he talks about justice. So there are three things that I would like to share with you based on today's passage. Number one, uh, justice of God, it is driven by the fear of God. Fundamentally, so when social justice talks about fairness, what's being fair, right? But what, what is fair in you? I mean, that fairness is all relative. And yet God's justice, it is driven by the fear of God. Verse 9, so I said, The thing that you are doing is not good. Are you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts and the nations of our enemies. So Nehemiah was angry. He was furious, and yet that anger was not his own reaction, but it was holy anger because that came from or driven by the fear of God. 
and he had compassion towards people who were suffering. But even that compassion, we have to understand it's a combination of two words, come and passion. So it's not about, compassion is not feeling bad or feeling sorry. But it is driven by passion out of fear of God. The fear is not about minding on other people's business or zeal, but it comes from fear of God saying that every single person, every single human being is created by the image of God. That's what it means to have a fear of God. We think the fear of God is being scared of God. Yes, maybe that can be part of it, but fundamentally, fear of God is about recognizing God's world, God's control, God's rulership, and also recognizing that every single person is created in the image of God. So we don't see one another based on our own bias, our own cultural lens, our own race, but we begin to see every single person as the image of God, and that is the root, or that is the beginning of the fear of God. So that we don't take advantage of people for our own benefit, our own greed, our own pleasure. However, even inside a church community, uh, there are discrimination or racism we may experience. There are times that we mistreat one another based on their social status. There are times that we abuse one another, not necessarily physically, but emotionally, spiritually. The reason is that many times we see one another based on our own lens, our own perspective, rather than looking at it or treating them from the perspective of God. So when social justice talks about fairness, God's justice based on fear of God. Psalm 11, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But it's very interesting because the beginning, the word Hebrew, Bereshit, actually it was being used exactly in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very beginning that God created heaven and earth, God created mankind and uh, humankind, that is the very beginning of recognizing as a fear of God. That's why Nehemiah was very upset. Not out of feeling bad towards weaker brothers and sisters, people who are suffering, but he was very angry because the community itself, they were practicing opposite end of the promise of God, God's character and image of God, violating image of God. So in verse 6, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. And Nehemiah who was a man of God, man of character, 
who prays, but also who plans. He didn't react right away. But verse 7, we have to learn that I took counsel with myself. What does it mean? He paused. And he really meditated through what is the fundamental root, what is the fundamental issue here. And he recognized that, you know what? The Israelites, they lost the fear of God. When you lose fear of God, that's when things begin to fall apart. Even your relationship with God, many of us, we treat God very casually in the name of being intimate. You know, God is my daddy. He forgives anything. So that we have created like Starbucks spirituality where we pick and choose what we like from God and then we just throw everything out or away what we do not like about God's character so that there is no fear. And someone said, Christianity without fear of God is like a folly. We make fall out of our spiritual life. Even in marriage, the moment that you make covenant vow, you fear God and you fear God's presence in your marriage. And parents, when you raise your children, you fear God. They are not your children, but they belong to God. That's what it means. You fear God so that you raise them in fear, meaning in prayer, in much thought, consideration, so that you respect who your children are based on their own gifting or temperament, their journey. That you don't own your children. Even your workplace, you fear God, meaning not like you're being scared of God, like that if you don't pray, somehow you get fired, you get demoted, so that you come and worship God as a part of the transaction in order for you to climb up the ladder, but you fear God, meaning God has given you opportunity and privilege for you to work so that you can be salt and light. But when you lose fear of God, things fall apart. And that's what God wanted to do exactly through Israelites. God wanted Israelites to live differently from Egypt. God wanted Israelites to live differently from Babylon. Because Egypt and Babylon, you know what? Compete. Climb up the ladder, and once you do, you can reap the benefit, and you can take advantage of people who are behind you. But God said, Leviticus chapter 25, verse 36 to 37, no longer do that. He said this, take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. What does it mean? If there are people, brothers and sisters, who are in need, share. And if you cannot share for free, then you can lend, but don't collect interest. Don't take advantage of people who are broken. You either share or lend at cost.
And yet there are people who could not pay back and they had to work. They become slaves. Sometimes, you know, out of that, you know, they were able to provide meal and housing. But this is what God said, Exodus chapter 21, verse 2. When you buy a Hebrew slave, you shall serve six years. And in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. So in that case, you may have to work as a slave for six years, but after six years, you're free. You don't need to pay back. Why? Because God knew the human, the broken system. So how does it apply? Those of us who work in mortgage, I mean, you cannot just give every money for like free or no interest. And yet, I think the principle is still here. Are we operating by Egyptian, Babylonian influence? Or are we operated by God's value? Do we work for the sake of taking advantage or somehow we gain more with the price of other people's suffering? Or are we working for the sake of kingdom of God? Even students, I would like to challenge. Are you studying for your own gain? Are you studying for God's kingdom? But many times, what happens? Work comes first. Our benefit, our profit comes first. So then we set aside our spiritual walk. We set aside our worship. We set aside our calling. Right? God, my calling comes next after I do this. But it's the other way around. Because we serve God, we work. Because we work for God, everything falls into the right place. But many times, our schedule, business, our children, everything becomes first priority, and then we try to squeeze our spiritual walk, our relationship with God into the next category, and that's why things fall apart. I'm not saying that we should pursue excellence. We pursue excellence because we love God, because we want to worship God. God has given us, and that's what Nehemiah did. He pursued excellence. He did his job done with excellence. And his priority was fearing God, and he rebuilt the wall because he feared God. He treated other people nicely because he feared God. And I hope and pray that everything that we do, it is out of fearing God. Fearing God is not about having this scary thought about who God is and God will condemn and God will punish. That's not what fear is. But fear is the beginning that God created everything. God has created us. God has given us life. God has given us family. God has given us children. God has given us our time. Recognizing and starting everything based on that, that's what it means to fear God. But now, so it is driven by fear of God, but secondly, it is being restored by the grace of God. So God's kingdom has perfect balance between grace and truth. But not grace and fairness. Because once you talk about fairness, it is never fair. 
Verse 10. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. So nobles were confronted by Nehemiah. And they were convicted. You know what? What we've been doing is not based on God's command. We've been operating just like Egyptians. We've been operating like Babylon. That was a worldly way. You know what? We will cancel interest. And then they gave back some of the portions back. But if you really think about it, not biblical way, but you and I, even just common sense. I mean, it's unfair. Don't you think? Rich people, they became rich because they work extra. Sometimes. Or nobles, they were born rich. And from their perspective, it could be fair. You know what? They were gambling and they were not studying and they were not working and then they became poor and then we were faithful. We work extra hours and then we reap the benefit and we're lending money and then collecting interest. That's being fair. Why should we, why should we cancel interest? They could be entitled. And as long as we talk about our own entitlement, our self-right, we will never see restoration. We will never experience reconciliation and healing of relationship. Because if God ever talked about fairness, you and I, we should be condemned to death. Because the fairness of our sin is a punishment, penalty. And yet, God being gracious, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, and he fulfilled on the cross the justice of God and grace of God and the truth of God. And brothers and sisters, we have to recognize that not every fact necessarily in line with the truth of God. And sometimes in the name of exposing facts, sometimes we abuse and we destroy. The personhood. And I share with some of our pastors and elders you know what? In the perfect world, only Jesus can fulfill perfect balance of the truth and grace. Only Jesus. You and I, we're broken. We're biased. We're self-centered. That we will never fulfill both truth and grace at the same time. And even though Bible reveals the truth of God. To be honest, you know, I've been a student of the Bible for the last 30, 40 years, and yet in my entire life, I don't think I can ever 100% comprehend 
the truth of God in the fullness. So what do I do? When I cannot find perfect balance between truth and grace, that's when I have to lean towards grace. Because grace embraces us. Francis, maybe there are some broken relationships. And some of the areas you feel like it is not fair. That you and I, until we see the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, you and I need to live in the world that is not fair. Without compromising the truth of God, we have to struggle, we have to wrestle, and yet at the end of the day, when we cannot find perfect balance, that's when you and I need to cling on to God's grace. And that was the beauty of today's passage because the nobles and people, as they heard, they said, you know what, Nehemiah, you're right. We are going to give up our right. We'll cancel the interest. Because that will be the only way to see people coming together. And yet, many of us, we still pursue our even spirituality with this mindset, what benefits me? What benefits my family? What benefits my children? Isn't that how we even find, you know, church community? Right? What benefits me? What does it have to do with me? What does it have to do even during pandemic? I mean, that's why we struggle. Like extended family and parents and all that. And yet, how does it affect my kids? My safety? Thomas Merton said, to consider persons and events and situations only in the light of their effect upon myself is to live on the doorstep of hell. And as long as we are operated by our own self-centeredness, individualism, there is no hope because even capitalism, it's all about greed, right? competition, using cheaper labor for profit. But extreme opposite, communism, is worse. And I was shocked. And some of us who've been to Pyongyang, where the income of every citizen is no more than $1 US per month, they work to death, and yet we see Less than 1% privileged people in Pyongyang, they drive Mercedes and BMW. What about socialism? You think socialism is better? Look at how many months you have to wait to meet specialists. And it is very, very challenging. Whether it's capitalism, communism, or socialism, as long as we operate based on our own self-centeredness, there is no hope. And yet, what God talks about is operated by grace.
That everything that we are given, it is by grace of God. So that once we recognize God's grace, we share that grace and extend that grace to one another. And that's the only way for us to experience God's justice. So again, God's justice separated from social justice is that that begins with the fear of God rather than fairness and also restored by grace of God when we let go of our own self-centeredness. So that we begin to give, we begin to live, we begin to share, we begin to sacrifice, we begin to serve by grace. And I'm so grateful for New Hope because New Hope, the people who really gave and served for us to grow this far was by people who operated by grace. And we need to continue on operated by grace. So rather than come and talk about our own needs, we come and experience God's grace and we extend God's grace to one another and we give, we share, we empower the next generation. Lastly, it is executed by the community of God. It is very important because as Nehemiah challenged the nobles and people who are privileged, they made a covenant Verse 12, making covenant, then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priest and made them swear to God as they had promised. So they made a promise and covenant. Brothers and sisters, in this world, when you get a job, you don't make covenant. You sign the contract. There are only two places that you make covenant. Family and church. When you get married, you make covenant before God that you will love the person until death do us apart. You know what that means? You will keep the covenant until you die, even if there is a risk of your life. Even if you fail, you need to get back to honor the covenant. And that's why in the Old Testament, making covenant was very important to the point where, you know what, have you ever read Old Testament where like the guests come and then they make covenant so that like when the guests were a threat, they were even willing to give their daughter like, I couldn't understand. Like, that's injustice. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that is right. But you know what? They, when they made oath, when they made a covenant, it was like this. I will keep the promise even if I give everything I have. I'm committed to protect the covenant. That's what it means. Not only in marriage, but brothers and sisters, when you make covenant, 
through the community of God, you are making covenant. To grow together, to honor together, to walk the journey, so that even though we may go through difficult times, we support, we extend our hands, and that's a covenant of church. When elders, when ordained deacons, when you make a covenant, I'm sorry to say, but you are making covenant to honor that covenant for life. You are pouring your life. So the husband, wife, you pour out your life for a covenant. Leaders, you pour your life for the covenant. That's what it means. And if you look at it, I said, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it begins, in the beginning, the fear of God, and yet Garden of Eden, because of sin, it was broken. But if you read entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it is very interesting because the gospel, the holistic gospel is not just individual salvation and then we go to heaven. That's a part of it. But if you read from Genesis to Revelation, it's not just about you individually going to heaven but it's about God's restoration from the garden of God to the city of God. Book of Revelation ends with the city of God. What's been broken in the garden, God restored through his son as a city of God. And in that city, what happens? People share, people love, people give. That's what God wanted to do, bringing people out of Egypt so that they enter into the promised land where they respect one another. They don't take advantage of one another because that's what Pharaoh did. That's what Egypt did. But in my world, in my kingdom, every person will be treated as the image of God. That's why God commanded the Israelites not to collect interest. And even after slavery, after six years, let them go. Free them. You know what happened? Book of Acts. Early church. They share their possession to one another. And the Bible says that people in early church, no one was in need meaning their needs were met. Why? Not by, based on communism, but by grace, so that people seeing one another, and if there are people who are in need, they were able to give, they were able to share. And I think... That's something that you and I need to recognize. And I think we are in a place where now we can be used as a channel of God's blessing. I remember 18 years ago uh, when our EM was so small, right? Um, we were really blessed by our first generation, even financially. But with their blessing, we became independent. And I'm so 
glad and blessed because our, many of our EM congregation members have a mindset so that for the past previous years, it's been kind of reverse, right? Like, let's give. Let's give. Because due to the pandemic, many of our professionals, maybe, maybe, you have, uh, maybe you haven't been blessed, but many of our previous generation, they are suffering. They had to close their business, going through hardship, and yet I was so encouraged because EM became blessing towards KM, giving, supporting, doing. And I think God's way of really operating is that, that we recognize this is not just individual salvation, but what we are experiencing together as a community of God and building the city of God through the community. And with that mindset, we recover the fear and grace of God. So then there is a hope that we begin to experience a glimpse of God's kingdom in our everyday life. We're not just talking about church, but even in your family. I want you to now apply. Is there any area that you need to restore God's fear? Is there any area where you need to restore with God's grace? If you cannot live out in Christian home, if you cannot live out in our spiritual community, where can we expect? But that was God's kingdom dream. Now, I want you to wrestle and yet practice even if you fail. Struggle to live out in your life that I will give you strength. And that will be the evidence of really restoring the wall that are broken in our relationship. So let's have that vision. Let me conclude today's message with this. Those who love God are given social responsibility, but also relational responsibility as well. Let's pray together. Brothers and sisters, let's reflect through the help of the Holy Spirit where that you have forsaken or somehow lost the fear of God. It could be the way that you treat others. It could be even the way you treat the closest one in your life. Somehow you do not see that person as the image of God with love and respect. Even your children, even people who are under, under you in workplace,
missions. Even refugee or people who are suffering, the whole ministry begins not out of you know feeling bad. No, it begins with a fear of God. And that has to be the beginning, fundamental in everything that we do. And yet, along the way, maybe we lost that. So can we pray at this time, Lord, I need to be renewed to fear you, to see things with your eyes. Secondly, I would like to challenge those who are maybe in tension, you know, like you feel like it's unfair how you've been mistreated or what, what things are happening. It is so difficult for you because you talk about facts. You talk about what's been done. And yet, Along the way, you see that wall, that end. Only way for you to be break free or break through, it's God's grace. But God's grace is not something that it is generated by our own. So let's really run to God's grace again. Lord, I need your grace. Without receiving your grace, I cannot extend that grace. So let's run to God today. And if the Holy Spirit gives you conviction to maybe practice even one area, do it. And that needs to be starting with your family, starting with church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as Nehemiah recognized that what's been happening and broken inside the city was more urgent, more important than just building the wall. Lord, we talk about our life, dream, goal, career. We talk about even mission and plan for vision. And yet, if we are so broken, If we are suffering, I know that you cry out for us and you run after us. So Lord, help us to be restored, keep regaining fear of, fear of the Lord. Lord, we pray that you will restore fear of the Lord in our family, in our every relationship. and help us to taste 
your grace again so that we'll be able to give, we'll be able to share and serve. And help us to taste that through our family and community. Father, I pray for your blessing, your work upon those who just like cry, just like these people in chapter 5, I'll cry. But Lord, would you hear their cry and touch them, restore them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.